Good evening. How's everyone doing? Are you excited today? Are you excited? You know, I just want to um, share something very, very exciting to me today. Just now, the worship team, they sang uh, quite a few songs, right? But the second song they sang was a song called Freedom. You guys remember that? That was a bridge that you go, you know, we shout your freedom. Then you repeat, shout your freedom, right? This song was written by, by some people in our worship team on Sunday. Amazing, right? Let's give them a round of applause. Um, we will reveal more details later, but, you know, um, God is stirring something in this church, you know, and I believe that in the season ahead, in the year ahead, God is going to birth and release fresh songs, especially for this church, especially for the season ahead. God is doing something new. God is doing something fresh. And I just want all of us as a congregation to get behind it. And as we release these words, these declarations that we believe are for this church and for this season, you know, just begin to, begin to declare it along. Begin to be excited along. Begin to open your heart and be so hungry for what God wants to do because He's going to release something new. Amen? And one thing that came to me as I was praying for, for today is um, there was a young adults retreat. Uh, in the beginning of this year. How many of you were there? Give me a wave. Okay, got a pocket here. Got a few here. And the theme of this retreat was called Deep. You know, and that word has been resonating over and over in my heart as I pray this year. Even last month, the month before, I remember just talking to some of the pastors and saying, I still feel this word, Deep. And, and the areas that uh, it was speaking to me was in three main areas. Firstly, deeper in relationship. Deeper in relationship. Relationship with God and relationship with the family of God. And I've seen that happen this year. Across this year, I've been seeing how people have been vulnerable, have built really solid relationships that are not just the obligatory, superficial coming to church day after day, week after week, singing the songs and going home. They've been journeying with each other, getting into each other's lives, each other's mess, and I've been seeing those really beautiful friendships and relationships blossom in this church. Amen? And the second thing is deeper in the spirit. And we've been seeing such a stirring as well. If you've been coming to our prayer meetings on Wednesday, there's been a shift this year. If you go to prayer meetings, say amen. And if you haven't gone before Wednesdays, Wednesday at 8.30 p.m., be there because something is stirring. We've been hearing good reports. We've been praying for miracles and healings. The week after, there'll be an update of a good report. There'll be an update of a miracle of healing. There'll be an update of a testimony of things that are happening. And God is stirring something. And, and, and it's, it's showing up even in the prayer meeting and in the worship team. Last weekend, Pastor John led a, a team uh, of, of, of worship, worship members to do a, a retreat a worship uh, team retreat, right? And in this retreat, we moved into songwriting. And we saw God move in such a fresh and powerful way. And one of the songs that came out was the one that we sang just now, Freedom. We have another eight songs that came out of that, that worship retreat, 
you know, nine songs in total where we just spent a couple of hours on Sunday. And some of them are 40% there. Some of them are 60% there. Some of them are maybe 20% there. But, you know, stay tuned. You know, in the future, you're going to hear songs, a, a sound that is meant for this season, a sound that is meant for this church to release something fresh and to release something new. Amen? So please, please pray along, be excited along, catch it along, you know, because it takes the congregation and the hunger of the congregation for God to begin to also pour out like that. And the last area where I was, when I was praying, where, where deeper uh, applied is deeper in the Word. That we need to begin to have a fresh hunger for the Word in our personal devotional life, in our um, ability to receive sermons and teachings and podcasts, you know, and even in our cell groups, the, the Word that is being shared and discussed there, that there, there's going to be a, a fresh hunger even to hear from the Lord even to read the living Word, even to declare the things of the living Word out loud and be able to understand the truths and claim it for our lives. Amen? And so today, I want to focus on the third area, the spiritual food for our, for our soul, which is delivered through the Word of God. Okay? And um, I've called my, uh, my sermon, Are You Coming Home for Dinner? And some of you are laughing and nodding because it's a familiar phrase. Some of you might have heard it from your parents, you know, if you've moved out. Um, some of you might have heard it for Christmas, for Chinese New Year. And um, I want to ask you one thing. If you have moved out or if there was something you would miss about home, what would it be? All right, just take a moment to... Answer that question, all right? Hold on, let's see. Carice just moved out. She is uh, the only child of her, her family, and I'm sure her parents are, you know, very sad with emptiness syndrome. What is one thing you miss about home? My parents. <laughs> okay. She misses her parents, the relationship with the parents, the presence of her parents, right? Okay, who else has moved out before? Maybe you went overseas to study. Alex, did you go overseas to study? No? Anyone moved out? You got married and moved out, right? Okay, okay. What do you miss about home? My dog. <laughs> <laughs> Misses his dog. Amos, you went overseas. What do you miss about home? Shout it out. Yeah. There is a magical thing that happens at home. There's this basket that I don't know what, what happens, but the moment you put your dirty clothes there, the next morning, it's clean. It's magic, you know, and that is definitely one thing um, that I miss as well. <laughs> right? Um, Sarah, you also went overseas to UK, right? What do you miss about home? Your parents as well. Everyone say, aw. <laughs> and why these, um, this line came to mind was, let me tell you a little bit about my story. I grew up arguing with my mother all the time. Every day was an intense argument. It was so bad, you know. 
Um, is Kafai here? Is he here or did he go out with his child? Oh, Kafai is there. He has seen the arguments I have with my mom, you know, because we've been best friends since, since uh, we were young. And he would walk in and he would be like, what's going on? <laughs> and then it would be so intense and I would walk out and we would head out and right outside the door, I would be just crying and he's like, uh, you okay, man? <laughs> you know, however, um, men comfort each other. And me and my mom were like oil and water. We just could not get along. And I think it's probably because we're two alike. Have you guys seen my mom before? She comes most of the time for Saturday service. But this morning, my sister's family arrived from Singapore, from the airport. So she's not here. So it's great because I can talk about her. And so my mom is the one that comes every Saturday to service. She is the hot grandma in a mini skirt. All right? <laughs> you won't find any, anyone else with that definition. I'm sure maybe so, the face is coming clear to your mind if you've never met her before. You know, she's got style. She is sassy. She is direct. She is confrontational, exactly like me. All right? <laughs> and we, we argued so much. There were times I even ran away from home. It was really, really um, um, difficult. And, of course, we patched things up. Uh, along the way. But let me tell you the one point that, that it shifted completely. Like overnight it shifted. It was when I started work and I decided to move out. Suddenly, literally the day after, our relationship just became awesome. Like really, really good. So if any of you are arguing with your parents, you know the answer. <laughs> no, just kidding. I don't think your parents want you to move out. But for me, that was such a big shift, you know, moving out. I think when my mom didn't have to see the little niggly things that bothered her. Sometimes if she sees my bed is not made after I wake up. Sometimes if she sees that the dishes aren't cleaned in a very timely manner. You know, why is that important? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> you know, sometimes she sees that, uh, you know, the clothes have piled up in the laundry basket, you know, and I'm still waiting for the magic to happen, right? And so these things would really aggravate her, small things. And so she, we, it would become, turn very quickly and trigger a very, very intense argument. But the moment I moved out, I think when all this settled down, literally a few days after, she called and she would ask, are you coming home for dinner? Are you coming home for dinner? And once a week she would call and ask me, are you coming home for dinner? And I don't know why, but for me that was equivalent to her saying, I love you, son. It was, there was just such a cry of a mother's heart when you hear that line. So when you get a call from your mom and you hear that line, please understand the cry of the heart. Are you coming home for dinner? And we would just talk through dinner and we would, you know, just became really good friends um, and didn't, didn't get into those arguments anymore. Somehow it was just like that. She missed me. I think I was the last child to leave the home because my brother was overseas studying uh, med school. My two older sisters had already moved out. So maybe it was the empty nest thing as well. But every dinner was so special to us. And every time she called, I would make the time. So for so many years after that, every week I'll make sure I go home at least once 
uh, once a week in order to have dinner with my parents, you know? And so there is something about home, and that's what I want to talk about today. There's something about home, the place where you're supposed to find your shelter and sanctuary and escape from the busyness and intrusiveness of life, a place where, you know, a lot of people consider it an the anchor place of your existence, where you can let down your masks, you can just be yourself, you don't have to worry about putting up a front, you don't have to worry about meeting anyone's expectations, but you can go home to rest and have a warm, simple meal. So special, right? And so, that is what I want to talk about today. We've been talking over the, so many months about how the church is your spiritual home, that is supposed to be a safe place for you, a safe space where anyone and everyone who comes can feel welcome, can feel like they belong, can find people to journey together in authentic relationship. And today I want to cover another dimension of what our spiritual home is. I want to focus on the place where we receive our spiritual food to nourish us, which is the Word of God. All right, we're going to go into um, the passage in just a moment. It's an interesting passage, uh, one of Paul's letters. It's from 1 Corinthians, and usually this is not the passage that people would use to talk about this topic, but it's something that really dropped in my heart and I want to share on today. So can we have the passage up on the screen? And can we honor uh, the reading of the Word by standing up? It's just a short four verses, and we're going to read it together from the NRSV version, one of my favorite versions for Bible study. All right, one, two, three. And so, brothers and sisters, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but rather as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for solid food. Even now you are still not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For as long as there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving according to human inclinations? For when one says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not merely human? Let's just keep standing as we pray over the Word today. Lord, we just commit the rest of this service into your hands. Bless the reading of Your Word. Reveal Your truths in Your Word. Reveal Yourself in Your Word. God, help us to be so hungry to know more of You, to understand You better and to, 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 to catch hold of the message that You have for us today, O oh Lord. God, may You just move in this place, touch every heart, O oh Lord, in a personal and specific way that, that everyone that is here is here by divine appointment, divine purpose, and not because of man, but because of your spirit. So let your spirit move out today and continue ministering, oh Lord, in such a powerful, real way. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So a lot of interesting things are happening in this verse. And I need to give a little bit of background to what's happening in the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians. What happens is um, Paul has been, has, writes all these letters 
right, to, to the churches that he plants when he hears that there are things that need to be addressed. And Corinth was a major, major city in ancient Greece. It was a port town, all right, and so it was a melting pot of different cultures, different religions, different uh, cults, different belief systems, you know, and of course driven a lot by the Greek philosophy that was dominant during that time. And so it was such a major economic center that Paul made it a real priority in his missionary journey. That means that usually he goes and stays three months, plants a church somewhere, goes and stays three months, plants a church somewhere. He decided to stay a lot longer in Corinth. He stayed one and a half years in Corinth in order to found this church, you know, pull together the believers and establish, you know, the, 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 the church during that time. And along the way, he goes, he leaves after one and a half years, and he continues his missionary journey to continue planting churches. And a couple of years later, he hears some worrying reports about what's happening in the Corinthian church. You know, serious reports about disunity, about things that are happening. And so, um, what happens is, you, you, if you read through the whole letter of 1 Corinthians, you know, it's all one letter. You see Paul going situation by situation. He defines the problem, and then he tells the Corinthian church why they are not aligned to the gospel that he preached. And then he defines the next problem, and then he tells the Corinthian church, you know, you're not doing it right because of this, this, this. It should be done in this way. Don't you remember the cross that I preached. Then he goes to the next problem and so on and so forth. And so it's such an interesting letter because it begins to bring to a practical level what happens when we begin, when the different aspects of our life are, are seen through the lens of the gospel. It's not just a vague conceptual thing. He begins to address very specific situations, very specific occasions, and he says, how is this supposed to work through the lens of the gospel, through the lens of Christ and the cross? And so that's why it's a very powerful uh, book to study. And um, a major problem that, that the Corinthian church was, was facing was that they were defining spirituality wrongly. And that was continuing from the start to the end. That was a major theme in this First Corinthians letter. They had a flawed understanding of what spirituality meant. They were living and behaving in ways that was not aligned to the gospel that Paul preached. And they were even finding very spiritual justification in order to do so. When Paul says, you call yourselves people of the Spirit, the Greek word that is used there is pneumatikoi. And pneumonikoi is basically saying that they are spiritual beings. They have become more than human. They are almost angelic beings, not that they have received, you know, the message of the cross and salvation. And uh, they don't have to worry about the earthly concerns of normal humans anymore. And, you, and Paul then began to demonstrate specific situations where this was showing itself. 
You know, in this passage itself, it was saying some of you follow, say that you will follow Apollos, some of you say you will follow Paul, and then in another part of the chapter, it says, and some of you say you will follow Peter. And so you're saying that this unity shows that you are not spiritual beings. That's not the gospel that I preach where everything is one body united under the cross. And then there was another occasion where a man in the church, in the Corinthian church, was sleeping with his father's wife. Are you shocked? <laughs> if you read it, it's there. And that's the great thing about reading the Bible as well. They don't really sugarcoat things, you know. Whatever is happening, whatever is the truth, they will just say it as it is. And so, there was the case of uh, incest in the church and as if you study um, what happened during that time, the scholars believe that the, the reason why the church allowed that to happen was because they felt that they were so spiritual that they could, um, you know, show this extra grace and love and compassion. Such grace, such love, they're so spiritual. How dare anyone else judge because you guys are not spiritual if you're judging we are more spiritual, and so we allow some of these things to happen because everything is about love and grace and compassion. In another part of the, um, another chapter, chapter 7, um, <laughs> there was a part where the, the wives were denying their husbands sex. You know, can you imagine? And what happened was... Um, was I saw Chris laughing, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> what happened was they were saying that we are now so spiritual that earthly hunger like sex, earthly pleasures like sex are, are, are for carnal beings. And so now we are so spiritual that even in marriage, we don't need to have sex. And in another chapter, um, there was um, men that were going to prostitutes in the temple. And when they were asked why they did that, they also put a spiritual justification to it. They said, God, you created us, God created us with natural hungers. So if we are hungry, physically hungry, we eat food. If we are sexually hungry, then we satisfy our uh, sexual um, hunger. And it doesn't affect our spiritual walk at all. So over and over you see this happening across this letter of Corinthians where Paul needs to address it situation by situation. He even spent three whole chapters, chapter 12 to 14, addressing the use and abuse of spiritual gifts, especially the gift of speaking in tongues, where they were using it to, uh, you know, to cause chaos and disorder. They were using it to cause disunity and competitiveness. If you show the gift of healing, that means you're more spiritual than someone who is doing this. If you show the gift of uh, tongues, you're more spiritual than someone who is functioning in the gift of prophecy. They were using it to compete and divide and um, disunite. And so, <clears throat> it was in this context that Paul begins to admonish them and address their flawed understanding of spirituality. And we need to get down to Paul's intention if we want to read um, this passage. Because if you study um, what has happened across uh, church history and, and the movements in the church history, 
this passage has been used many times to defend um, spiritual elitism movements, deeper life movements, second blessing movements. These kind of movements are like, okay, there's these, these uh, very secret um, mysteries and um, which are only available to the elite and select few who have uncovered that secret. And so part of chapter 2 and this, this, this uh, passage has been used to defend those movements. When actually that's not what Paul is intending. It's not about, you know, having the milk and then being able to get to a small solid food and more solid food and go getting into the deeper mysteries because the biggest mystery that has been revealed is Jesus Christ. Throughout history, throughout the Old Testament, it says that the mystery that was revealed is Jesus on the cross. And so, when we read this passage, would Paul, in his consistent and combative approach against spirituality, I mean, against false spirituality and elitism, want this verse to be understood and used that way? Let's go down and really dig into what the Corinthians' complaint was. They say they have moved past the milk of Paul's foundational teachings about Christianity, about Christ, about the cross, about, this, about salvation. Now they had uncovered deeper secrets of God and were probably even more spiritual than Paul himself. And Paul is the spiritual founder and father of their church. They considered his teaching as milk for babies and had moved on to the solid food meant for more spiritual beings. And now we're going to look at how Paul responded. And the interesting thing about Paul is that if you read how he responds in his letters, many times he's so direct, so confrontational, so savage, you know, so sarcastic and ironic at times. And so we're going to see that. He says, he begins to address them in, in language they will understand very, very directly. He says they have abandoned the basic gospel for something that looks like solid food but has little nutritional value using the world's wisdom. And we need to get this straight. His point is not that you're meant to move from more basic teaching to more sophisticated teaching. His point is for them to stop acting like children Stop um, using worldly worldviews and wisdom so that they can appreciate the milk for what it really is, which is solid food. When they called themselves pneumatikoi, people of the spirit, he counted it straight away and called them sarkikoi, which is people of the flesh, carnal flesh. They thought that they were mature adults in the faith. They have grown so much. He calls them infants and babies. And this is not the very nice uh, way of saying infants and babies like come to God as a child. He was calling them immature and petulant children. And most significantly, there is a lack of Christ-likeness in the fruit of the be their behavior and their disunity. I think before we move on, we need to clarify what spirituality is in Christianity. Because many times we can um, be a bit confused about it. 
Spirituality is not speaking in tongues. Spirituality is not the gifts of the Spirit. Let's say if someone is able to pray for someone and healing comes, you know, um, it doesn't mean the person is very spiritual. It's not necessarily being able to give prophecy. So sometimes we relate spirituality to the anointing of God in being able to, 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 to manifest these gifts. Spirituality in the kingdom of God has to do with the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit that is displayed in our hearts. Fruit of the Spirit are like patience, humility, love, compassion, forbearance, perseverance. And as we walk with Christ over time, over years, His Spirit comes in and transforms us so that it, it, those become our genuine nature. We become more loving, not because of ourselves, but because we allow the Spirit of God to work in us. We become more patient, more compassionate, more humble. And these things come out genuinely, not as an obligation, but He begins to change our nature, our very nature, to be more like Jesus. And that, in essence, is what spirituality is. And so, we need to be careful when we see people that are, you know, moving powerfully on the pulpit and platform. Worship leaders that are able to prophesy, you know, people that can just lay their hands and healing happens because we elevate that as spirituality when it actually isn't. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit manifested, transformed in our lives day after day, year after year is what spirituality is. Okay? Good? <clears throat> so, to wrap up this section about Paul, for him, the unshakable foundation of the gospel is both our milk and our solid food, if we want to conclude that part. And the milk can, if you use an analogy, the milk represents the good news of salvation. The solid food is the conviction that our entire Christian life is based on the same reality of the cross. That is, in essence, what he is meaning when he talks about milk and solid food here. And it really hit me as I was studying this passage, how important the cross is. The focus is always on Christ. The focus is always what He did on the cross. The focus is always on His resurrection. Our entire story as Christians is predicated on His cross. And if we ever lose the wonder in our hearts for the simple cross, then we've missed the point completely. No matter what stage you are in your life as a believer, the most beautiful thing is the point where we come into God's presence and we remember that we were in wretchedness and sin that we could not save ourselves from, that no one else could save us from. But all that was washed away by the mystery of the cross. 
That is our foundation. That is everything that we are. And our story is so integrated, so interwoven with that, that you can never take away that part, no matter how simple it seems. Jesus died for us. Why would he do that? You know, I've talked to um, friends of different faiths, different, different beliefs, and many times they ask me, why, do you say, uh, why does your Christianity only, always say there is only one way? Why always one way? You guys are so restrictive, so judgmental, so, you know, um, it's so difficult to, to, to hear what you have to say. And you will hear that many, many times. And there are some faiths that, uh, beliefs that you can, you have many, many, many ways in order to reach God. I have some friends who are from the Baha'i faith, and they, they basically mean, uh, basically open it up so that you can pick and choose the different components of different faiths, and, and whatever works for you, you can reach God with that combination. And so this really, um, Disturbed me because a lot of my friends were telling that to me, and I was really seeking God about this. And I and I just heard this question um, instead of asking why there's only one way to God, have you ever asked why there is any way at all? Why would a God humble himself to such an extent to come down as a human, to die on the cross, to pay that? that amazing, incredible cost for us. It's something that we will never, ever fully comprehend and understand, that mystery of the cross. But all we can do is come before Him in remembrance and then can't help but do anything, but, but just be in awe, in gratitude, and in adoration for Jesus. That is the essence of who we are as Christians, and we can never move away from that simplicity. Whenever there are basic messages of the cross that you hear, does it still catch your heart the same way as when you first met Jesus? And I was so touched just now, just standing at the back, because we started singing Living Hope, and I just saw all the hands in this hall just begin lifting to Jesus, because it was a song about the cross, a song about who He is, about what He's done, about how He is our hope and the only hope that we have, the hope of glory, Jesus Christ. And it was just such a beautiful time of worship in that song. We need to make sure that our hearts are ready so soft and so, so tender towards the cross in every season of our spiritual journey. The message of the cross, the good news of Jesus' sacrifice and resurrection should always hit us as deeply in our hearts every time. Every time we even partake communion, that's where we remember everything that He did as well. He should leave us so wrecked and so thankful. That is who we are as believers. And so when we hunger to know more and go deeper, we must make sure it doesn't replace the basics. You haven't moved on from it. It is intricately interwoven 
with the gospel, the basic good news of salvation that is found in Jesus. You know, when I was in Bible school, I had a, an experience that really um, impacted me. We were in chapel together, and sometimes the students get a chance to preach, you know, and um, some of them are terrible. <laughs> Sorry, some of us are terrible. <laughs> and there was this, this teacher that came, came by, and he's a renowned preacher, and he's like 60-something years old, so he is so famous. And I happened to sit behind him. And there was a student up there, and he was preaching, you know, whatever. <laughs> and I was like, man, oh, this is not good. And then I decided to take a peek at this, this famous preacher. He's got his, his tattered book open, and he's writing notes. And he's saying, yeah, so good. Amen. Wow. 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 And I was like, oh, <laughs> you know, that really hit me. He's learning all his life. He is in a place where he can receive all his life. And that's what God is talking about when he, when, in the parable of the sower as well, you know. It's not about the seed because the sower seed sows the seed indiscriminately. The good seed goes everywhere. The thing that makes a difference in terms of how the seed is received is the soil, correct? And what the soil is, is the condition of our hearts. Our hunger for the Word, our hunger for the truths of God, our hunger for the presence of God. That is good soil. It's not determinant on how good the, the seed thrower is. You know, does he throw like this? Does he throw like this? It's not that. It is completely hinged on the condition of our hearts as that damp soil that's ready to receive. And I remember uh, Levi, he just came back from, from Indonesia on a missions trip, and he's saying the churches there are, are thriving and so excited and, 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 and growing, and there's so much happening, there's revival happening. You know, our, our outreach churches are so amazing, you know, and he was so excited, and he kept sharing about it. I said, what was the key? And he said, they are all so hungry. The entire church is just on their knees in hunger for more of God. More of God. Remember when Pastor Vincent preached as well a few months ago about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? He said the one requirement is to be thirsty. Do we thirst and hunger for the things of God today? So what does this mean for us? When we've gone through all this Paul's intent and meaning in 1 Corinthians... What can we apply? I want to read a quote by Susanna Wesley. How many of you have heard of John Wesley? John Wesley just is one of the amazing evangelistic preachers of, the, uh, of his day. He, um, he preached over 40,000 sermons. <laughs> On average, he preached uh, around three times a day. 
I think that if you talk to any pastor in glad tidings and ask them to preach once or twice a week or so, we're like, whoa, in order to prepare a good sermon and to, to, to really sink you know, in it and pray and cry for it, it's already taking so much out of us three times a day. And he would be on his horse and he rides to one village and he preaches. He rides to the next village and he preaches. He's on the move all the time. This guy was an amazing, amazing evangelist for God. Yeah, and I've heard a joke that he's considered the second uh, Sermon on the Mount because, you know, Jesus had the first Sermon on the Mount, but he wrote his mount everywhere, so he's the second Sermon on the Mount. Okay, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, let's read what his mom said, all right? His mom is the one that raises amazing men of God. Whatever weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, takes off your relish for spiritual things, whatever increases the authority of the body over the mind, that thing is sin to you, however innocent it may be in itself. And in the context of this passage, whatever diminishes your passion and sense of Christ and His work on the cross, that is wrong to you. That is sin to you. Anything that puffs up our pride, makes us feel better than another, any gift of God that becomes a badge of spirituality, we need to re-examine in our hearts. And you know, there are times that we have even seen our the spirituality used as an excuse to be to 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 have sins in our life. I've heard it before, where you know, as long as I tithe, as long as I attend services, as long as I serve on the worship team, as long as I'm doing this, 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 I'm sacrificing for God, I don't have to deal with this thing that God has been prompting in my heart to deal with. We can't get to that state. We need to always have a check in our spirit to ask whether the basic message of Jesus dying on the cross is still the foundation of our faith and our walk in Christ. And so I just want to bring it to our final point. What do I want us, what to bring us to today? What's heavy on my heart? This church is your spiritual home. This is a place that you will Partake, eat of the spiritual food that has been prepared. Is it enough for you? Is it enough for you? I heard an interesting thing that happens in another church, and I'm glad that it doesn't happen in Glad Tidings, but uh, this is what I heard from a, a friend's church where some of the members, they will check who is preaching that weekend they will check who is preaching that weekend, and it will determine whether they show up for church or not that week. I'm so glad it doesn't happen in glad tidings. Amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> but, you know, and then there are those who, who are starting to tell me that why do I have to go to church? Can't I just uh, fulfill my whole spiritual walk in life from my home? Can't I just listen to podcasts, listen to YouTube sermons, and shouldn't that be enough? 
because I'm doing my personal devotions with God. You know, why do I need to even come to church? And if you read the Bible, you find that it is everything to do with being a disciple. We serve together. We journey together. We get into each other's lives, you know, and, and, and this whole walk as a body of Christ, as a family of God is so uh, integrated that you can't separate it. It's not an individual walk. We're the chosen family of God. And so we need to ask ourselves, does the preaching still minister to you week in, week out, no matter who preaches? Do you come hungry every week for the taste of home-cooked food? When you go to cell group, is your spirit able to receive the simple things that are being discussed in your cell, among your cell members? You know, sometimes we fall in the trap of chasing what seems spiritual. When we, go for, when we went for the Planet Shakers conference, you know, and the concert, we were jumping, you know, we were in the front mosh pit and so excited. And then sometimes when our own worship team goes up, it's so hard to, <laughs> everybody jump, yeah, <laughs> you know, shout your freedom, shout your freedom, shout your freedom, I'm going to shout your freedom. <laughs> we need to come hungry. What is determined, what is key is this the condition of our hearts, the condition of our hunger, not how good the music is. And we also need to recognize that God has chosen the local church as the vessel that the body of Christ functions in and through. Every aspect of the local church, the community that you find in cell groups, is a platform for relationships that you will not be able to find in many places. The times we press in together in corporate prayer and worship, the anointing and favor of God and presence of God that falls is something that you will not experience in the privacy of your own room. And when we um, receive the nutrition from those that have been entrusted to share the Word of God together as a family, there is something very unique and special that is released through that as well. Some of you would have eaten my mother-in-law's food, um, Pastor Sarah's mom, amazing uh, cook. She cooks her own suyuk. She cooks everything from scratch. She cooks her own, all sorts of dishes, any Chinese dish. And, you know, anyone who comes over and eats it, they're, they're always raving about it. But you know that I still prefer my own mom's cooking. Good thing she's not here, right? <laughs> and all she cooks when I come over many times is a chicken soup, a soup, all right? And all she cooks is uh, long beans with minced meat. And then I put the rice in the soup, and then I eat with the, the long bean dish. And it's the best meal for me. Always warms my soul and my spirit when I go home and eat simple home-cooked food. You know, nowadays, a lot of us like to eat out, right? Especially the younger generation. <laughs> 
We are so busy that it's very hard to cook at home. But you know that when they did some uh, studies and research on it, how much more MSG they use outside? How much more salt? How much more sugar? And when you cook at home, you make sure that you're only putting a small portion because you're thinking also about how healthy and nutritious that meal is for your family. Some of you, when you have your first child, you cook them only organic food. Of course, by the third child, they can eat some Cheetos for all you care. All right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, in the same way, our local preachers are not necessarily the most eloquent, the sharpest apologetic minds. And you know, this thing had been, has been bugging me a lot because um, now I'm in a position where I'm able to preach once in a while. It's a very challenging thing to be a preacher today. Really challenging. Back then, when people got bored, what would they do? Maybe they draw a little scribble in their notebook. Maybe they day daydream. Maybe they try to like wink at the girl they like and flirt. I don't know. But nowadays, it's different. You can cross-check the facts of the sermon immediately while the preacher is talking and then you're just like, no, you got it wrong, you know? And you can go home and open up podcasts and YouTube of the top preachers in the world just like that. Just like that. And I was feeling so much pressure, you know, because I listen to these YouTube sermons at least once a week as well. You know, it's a great way to learn and, 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 and receive as well. But they are so amazing at, a, at, that, at that level of world-class delivery that when I step up here, I'm like, wow, I am an absolute beginner and amateur. I've just begun my journey. I'm here standing in fear and trembling, and I know that when you go home and open up Stephen Furtick, you're going to be like, that's how it's meant to be done. He's one of my favorite preachers, yes. You know, Timothy Keller, Francis Chan, John Piper. Oh, all amazing. And then I just heard the Spirit of God speaking to me one day as I was struggling with it. And he said, Roger, do you preach the Word of God faithfully? Do you pour out your heart every single time with love and sincerity? Do you try to catch the pulse of what is happening in the church in that season and also observe what the members, the, the church members are going through in that season and build in that context into what you share? And I began to realize that many times the local preachers will preach a simple message which will minister to what they know you need instead of what you think you want. And as you look back over the years, as I look back over the years, it is these simple messages week after week, year after year, that have slowly transformed and chipped away at my character to be more like Christ. Just like water dripping on a, a rock, it chips it over, it over years. Sometimes we're always looking for that 
amazing conference speaker, that amazing prophetic speaker that is going to be the grand miracle solution. The moment you receive that prophecy, your life will be set forever. Sometimes we're looking for that magical moment. And God doesn't always work like that. He wants to use the local church in a very powerful way. Sometimes the messages are simple, but let me tell you, they're always nutritious. They're always meant to build your spirit in the season you're at in this church today. And so if we ever come to a place where we can only receive from our favorite preachers because we've reached a certain level of spirituality, we may have missed the point completely. I'm going to end with, um, with a story that, that just came to me, a story um, about David and his mighty men. Remember there was one part in the passage where suddenly three of his mighty men stormed the Philistine garrison in order to get that small jug of water for David? Do you remember that story? Sounds like such a foolish thing. Why would they risk their lives in order to get a small pitcher of water? And when you read the passage in 2 Samuel, you will see that it doesn't even seem like um, David instructed his men to do anything. He's been uh, at war with the Philistines for a long time. He's been traveling from cave to cave. He's been battling. He is weary. And then one day he sits down and it's almost like he's sighing to himself, Oh, I wish for a taste of the water from the well near my home. And I think we can relate to that. That sometimes we go through battles in our life, battle after battle, and we're tired out. We're getting wounded, getting hurt, facing the challenges of the world, and sometimes we're just like, oh, God, I just need a place I can lay my head down to rest and not have to worry about the enemy, not worry about getting attacked. I need a safe place. Oh, how I wish for that refreshing taste of water that tastes like home. How I wish for that warm meal that, that will soothe my soul and my body so that I can heal from my wounds. Home is, is so, so important. And this is the place that God has positioned you in order to receive the home-cooked food that is painstakingly prepared week after week, month after month, year after year. 